Hello and welcome to another Coach Mark in Manila podcast from eslbusinessenglishexperts.com and initial-impact.com. I'm here to help you get the life that you deserve, whether it be immigrating overseas, perhaps launching your own business, improving and advancing your English, whether you be a non-native English speaker or perhaps a native speaker, but just lacking the confidence or presentation oomph, and that's a great word there, to get you through some presentation challenges. Today, I'm going to be speaking about cross-cultural differences, why they really matter, and also touching on the sensitive subject of politically correct language. Now, this is an area which is becoming fast, <laughs> fast, uh, how should we put it, rapidly increasing, shall I say. That's probably the better way to put this. Um, it is becoming quite a controversial area. Um, over the years, we've seen gradually increases in what is seen as politically correct. And when we say politically correct, let me just explain, because um, the difference is certainly for myself um, coming across and living over in, in Southeast Asia, as I am at the moment, um, has been quite enlightening for me. And when I first arrived in the Philippines, um, I was hearing some language here about certain people or um, I don't know, should we say identities that to me from the UK originally, would have got you a caution by the police <laughs> um, and possibly even landed you in court. So it was kind of staggering when I first heard people using these terms around me. I was shocked. Um, and I remember doing a double take, and that's a good idiom uh, based on the other podcast I did recently, a double take, like, what? What did you just say? Um, and I was just like bemused, but also like, wow, I haven't heard that term used certainly since the 19, what, late 1970s, 80s, when I was a very small child, and I'm giving my age away there a little bit, um, and then it was completely sort of just taboo. You could not say these things. And, of course, on this podcast, I'm not going to be repeating these things because, of course, you know, I want to be sensitive here, and I know that it is a very sensitive subject, and that's the whole point of doing this, though, because I do believe we need to have a conversation about this all the same. Okay, because what I am finding, as I did in this instance, the person who said these things, when I asked them about it and explained why I was so amazed and shocked, because they could see on my face, I was like, what? Um, they had no idea. They were just completely unaware that this would be classed as offensive in other parts of the world, or that it could even land you in serious trouble, maybe with the, the, the police force. Okay. So let's talk about it because it's really important for you, particularly if you are coming from areas of the world such as Asia um, or indeed the Middle East. So lots of students, obviously, um, Dubai, um, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, you know, Turkey, Egypt, um, all of these regions here. This might be also an interesting subject for you to be aware of because it's going to fundamentally alter perhaps some of the words that you might use when you are trying to speak to either Western clients or indeed European clients, um, or maybe you know the other way, go to Australia and New Zealand. Um, okay, so I'm going to start with some very simple ones. So, for example, somebody who's unemployed, you might just say, well, you know, they're, they're unemployed, but actually they're referred to as a non-wage earner. Okay, all right, because it could be seen that saying someone's unemployed is rather discriminatory and rather judgmental of them, and saying that they are just not doing anything, which is not necessarily the case. Um, they may be employed, say, you know, sort of doing other things, maybe contributing to something in the home, um, whatever. But because they're not earning money, okay, we would be classing them as just, well, just not employed in anything. 
but that's far from the truth okay there are many ways that people make a significant contribution not just by earning money so we would just call them in this case a non-wage earner okay um somebody who is poor okay that language certainly in the west if you're going to go there would be more classically referred to as financially underprivileged so if you're writing about this instead of saying poor people this poor people that you would say the financially underprivileged now to be really clear here, I'm not saying that you can't say poor anymore. And I'm not saying you can't say unemployed. These are not going to get you into trouble or please don't you know, sort of panic on this. But I'm just trying to help you understand that there is a more sensitive way that these are now being referred to. And kind of the, the, the West is leaning towards these words more. And this also applies to the USA and Canada, Northern America. Um, a drug addict, for example, if you happen to be talking about that for whatever reason, would be referred to as a substance abuser. And substance abuse can mean any type of substance, whether that be drugs, as in, um, you know, illegal drugs, shall we say, or alcohol, things like that. Um, anything that is a substance that can be misused and cause some sort of addiction would be referred to in that sense sense as a substance and you are then a substance abuser and hopefully none of you are but if that is the case that is the correct term that you would find being used more often than drug addicts okay um also this is one that i can talk about from here that i heard a lot and still happens here people here they refer to somebody like myself as a foreigner okay now a foreigner now at first it felt really weird to be called a foreigner it's like it really is like saying you know, putting you out over there right you're a foreigner it kind of feels not welcoming. Um, now, that wasn't their intention at all. Filipinos are probably some of the most welcoming people I've ever met in my entire life, to be fair. But that kind of feeling came with the word, a foreigner. Like, so if somebody's foreign, it's like alien, it's unfamiliar, it's not of us. You feel kind of ostracized, marginalized. These are the feelings that a native speaker would hear. Certainly somebody from the West would feel if you're a foreigner. You know, so it's better to refer to people such as an overseas visitor, okay, a tourist, a foreign tourist is fine if you want to be specific, because obviously there are local tourists. So just say, you know, a foreign tourist, a foreign visitor, an overseas visitor, a guy from the UK, a British person, a British visitor. These are the more kind of polite and acceptable terms that don't make people feel so marginalized. And that's a great word. If you marginalize people, you are isolating them and putting them outside from the rest of society, which basically means that you don't include everybody. And diversity and inclusion is something that I'm very hot on. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm developing at the moment, I have um, another additional uh, support service, diversity and inclusion consulting, which I will obviously mention more about at another point in time, but watch out for that. Because again, um, it's going to be packed with the support for employers and also employees and just people who are interested in this, okay, to really understand about diversity and inclusion and bringing it out to these countries such as Southeast Asia, um, Turkey, the Middle East, really trying to push this out um, to spread greater awareness. Um, in addition, if you go to eslbusinessenglishexperts.com, you will see that I'm now providing cross-cultural training, coaching support. Now, this is specifically for all of you who are working with um, international clients, maybe suppliers or employers. Indeed, it's also for you if you are a native English speaking or Western based or Australian based, Pacific based employer. Because just as much as you would like your employees from Asia, um, Middle East, 
Turkey, the, the, you know, these regions here, to fully understand um, how the Western culture is. It's really important as an employer of, of these individuals that you also take responsibility to understand their culture okay, and their situation. I'll give an example on this one briefly. I did some training um, a little while ago now with a company that had, it was a US-based company, but they had employees in Vietnam. Now, the US company was that frustrated with the team's performance in Vietnam that they were thinking of actually letting the entire team go, as in firing them, getting rid of them. Um, and they spoke to me about this and they said, look, you know, Mark, they're, they're not in the meetings and everything. They just sit there on the webcam and nod their heads. They say there's not a problem, but none of them are coming forward with any like um, proactive suggestions for the company to try and move it forward. Um, we feel that they're just turning up, just taking a wage and then going home. They don't really care about the team and the performance or anything, and we don't want that. Okay. Now, I spoke to the team in Vietnam, and when I explored this with the team, and I said, hey, guys, you know, look, because it, to me it was very apparent when I started speaking and directing, asking the team members, what do they think about the company? Have they spotted anything that was needed to change? Um, did they have any good business ideas that could help increase the company's profits? They had loads of ideas. And I was staggered. I thought, is this the same team that this head office had been complaining to me about and was going to get rid of? I thought, why would you get rid of these, these great workers? They've got fantastic ideas. So I said, I said look, um, management is really concerned. They don't feel that you are committed to the company. They are you know, highly you know, dissatisfied with what's happening in the meetings. And this is the reason why. And they were shocked. I mean, they were quite upset as well, clearly. But we had to have this direct talk. It was a coaching corporate session. And I said, look, you know, this is why. And I said, you're not. I said, you've got great ideas. So why are you not bringing them to the meetings? Why are you not speaking up? And what was eye-opening for me as well, this is my early introduction to, to just how things are out in Asia. Um, one of them spoke up and, and, and she said, look, you know, it's not our place. Um, it's kind of, it, it's like a hierarchical okay, system. And they see, you know, uh, many of my students in, in Vietnam, um, in Korea, China, and it's important that we understand and embrace the cultural differences. So obviously there, if you're, you're a student from one of those countries I've mentioned or others like this, you have a hierarchical culture. Okay, so you literally sit in like a pyramid system and at the top are the bosses and the managers and the directors and you wait for them to give the orders down. Now, if they ask you a direct opinion, say, do you have any ideas for the company? Do you have anything you could offer? What do you think we should be doing better? Then, of course, you've been asked for a direct opinion, so then you will offer it. But, and this is really important for Western employers to understand, the, 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 the clients and students I work with from these countries, if you don't ask them directly, they would not offer it to you ordinarily unless they are more, shall we say, aware of how it needs to be for you. Because it would be seen in their own country, like in Japan, for example, as totally beyond their level. That they would almost be being insolent and perhaps rather arrogant if they presumed that they could speak to their manager or boss or even directors and say, hey, there's ways to improve this company. It would be seen by them to be very offensive and rude towards their employer. So they won't do it unless you ask them directly and give them permission to say what they think. It's like almost, the, you know, you think about like a military thinking, permission to speak, permission granted. Okay, I can tell you everything now because you've given me that permission. So it's really important as a Western employer. It's not always about um, 
sort of our, our Asian counterparts or Middle Eastern counterparts just getting to understand the Western culture. It is a two-way street, and I'm very much for that. So when I work in this capacity in corporate coaching um, or individuals who come to me for help, I try to bring both sides of the equation together. It's really important that it's not just expected that, like this case, the Vietnamese team would just understand and get with the program and start to just go and knock on the manager's door and say, hey, boss, I've got some great ideas to improve the company. But equally, um, it's important they are aware of that and they are encouraged to do more of that and use their initiative. Equally, the Western employers, um, you know, you really need to understand how this works for your your um, colleagues or your employees in these countries and sensitively deal with that. Okay, and educate that, okay, you would like them to be more inclusive. This is how you would like them to do it. And you've got to support them to understand it's safe to do so. Because certainly in Japan, Korea, for example, if you were to just go and do that, you'd probably lose your job or be classed as being very offensive. In China, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chinese students, please, I, I really need some support and uh, input from you as well still on this. Um, it's causing loss of face to your boss. Uh, to directly say to them, hey boss, there's a better way to do this. Total loss of faith, totally inappropriate, and would not be tolerated or looked upon nicely. So don't be surprised if you're Western, uh, a Western company when your staff in these countries are not doing that, okay? There is a cultural reason why, and when you understand the why, and then obviously encourage and educate them about how things can be when they work with you, then we see things change. So I just wanted to throw that in. Cross-cultural training is a big one now that I'm working on massively. Um, and if you would like support in that specific area, then as I say, go to the website. The links are all down below. Have a look at that, okay, and get in touch when we have a free 30-minute session to discuss your issues, whether you're an employer or whether you're an employee or perhaps you're thinking of getting into launching a business and want to work with these different markets, okay, either side, east to west, it doesn't matter, or west to east. I can help you and let's talk about some of the challenges and how we can improve performances and just a better cross-cultural communication. It also helps you if you have um, employees who you are sending, say from Japan. I work with a lot of um, employees in Japan who are seconded to USA companies um, over in like LA, Dallas, Texas, these regions. And it is a bit of a shock to the system. Now, it's really important for corporate clients to understand this. If you invest in cross-cultural training for these employees before you send them, as well as during while they're there, it provides the support they need so it's not so much of a culture shock, which means that you are supporting your employees. Um, you're also going to get a better performance out of them and they are going to be happier. And it also supports their family if they're taking family with them because everybody feels they can assimilate. And that's a nice word. They can simply slot into the Western way easier. I'm not saying it's totally easy because like any country move, it's a big shock. But of course, the distance from East and West, the, the differences are much bigger than, say, if you're just jumping from the UK into Europe, for example. And so it's less of a shock to the system. And it just makes sure that that move is successful. It costs a lot of money to send an employee or indeed their family to another country. And often we see it fails within the first year because there's not been enough cross-cultural support. So I'd highly recommend you take a look at that. 
if you yourself are an employee and your employer does not do this, um, but you would like some support and assistance to cope with some of the cross-cultural issues you're finding, again, you can take this yourself. You don't need to wait for your employer. One-to-one -one training with me, coaching, and we can really support you to get through the first year, because that is the hardest thing. I think once you've done the first year in many countries, it becomes easier, okay? So let's go back to the politically correct side of things, because this is important uh, part of that, because you know, if you're using the wrong phrases, you're going to, um, unfortunately, not on purpose, but you're going to perhaps insult a few people or possibly even land yourself in serious trouble with, say, you know, the law enforcement people, depending on which country you're in, like the UK, very tricky about what you can say there now on the street um, and in company. So you, you really do need to be aware of this. Um, let's talk about other things. So somebody who's a short person, okay, now, okay, I'm not kidding you, would be referred to as a vertically disadvantaged person or maybe a vertically challenged person. Okay, so we have to think about these words. And um, if you said that short person over there, okay, it's it's still okay, kind of. You can still get away with it, but it's not really seen as nice to turn around and start pointing out that this person is much shorter than say someone's taller. Okay. Um, we're not saying you can't use those words. I'm going to repeat that again for clarity. This is, you know, still fine. Short person, a tall guy over there, a tall woman, whatever. Okay. But if somebody's extremely short, for example, okay, then you would probably say, okay, vertically challenged people, vertically disadvantaged, okay, because yeah, that is kind of politer than using perhaps other more uh, discriminatory terms um, that would not be acceptable in other parts of the world that might be okay still in your country. Um, now, this is an interesting one that came to me the other day. Someone mentioned this, and I'm not sure. Right, okay, we talk about mankind, don't we? We talk about mankind and, you know, the, the, for the life of, you know, and, and we talk about it in general terms. You know, mankind has done a lot of damage to the environment, for example. But actually, um, we might say humankind or humanity, okay? Um, this other person, though, did mention person kind. Now, I haven't really used that myself. I would maybe say humankind um, or humanity, really. Um, mankind is still used because there are some expressions like, you know, uh, Neil Armstrong's favorite quote about landing on the moon. Um, so we're still going to hear it repeated. But in general, these days, it's looked upon as being slightly sort of, you know, eliminating women. And of course, then we have to talk about non-binary people, um, people who um, don't identify with any particular gender identity as such. OK, so are they mankind, womankind? Well, they don't identify with any gender identity, man or woman. So humankind, personkind. OK, so we do need to be aware of this. And just while we're talking about gender identity here, whole transgender uh, conversation is is a very specific part of the diversity inclusion coaching that I do and also this cross-cultural training. Um, it is something that will be uh, unfamiliar to some of you in different parts of the world. It will also perhaps be viewed very differently in your part of the world with regard to transgender rights um, or even LGBT and Q, because <laughs> okay, we keep adding other letters onto this acronym. Um, then, then we, we need to look at all of that because regardless of your personal point of view on this and irrespective of your country's perception of this, if you are going to work in countries such as the USA, Canada, the UK, most places in, in Europe, okay, more Western Europe than Eastern Europe, um, Australia, New Zealand, okay, 
this is something that you have to be aware of and you really will run into trouble okay if you start to um discriminate let's put it like that okay you really are going to have a big big problem there so it's important that regardless and irrespective of your personal opinion about the sort of the lgbtq sector or any sort of transgender issues here and what you believe about it that you are at least able to politely and respectfully deal with those situations um, and obviously if you do strongly feel that actually you know you want to get behind and be an advocate for the lgbtq sector then this language will help facilitate you to do that so you can signal in the right way and um, to the right people that you know you really are supporting them and you are an ally so either way it's going to help you on both of those spectrums okay so again get your free 30-minute session with me we can talk about these things that you absolutely need to be aware of it's just impossible for you to work within industry and sector anywhere in those countries without knowing about these things okay um also equality so we look at equality as men and women's rights okay that's a very hot topic as well um, and that women should be treated just as equally as men um and men should be treated just as equally as women too because we're also seeing a very big swing around almost like you know it's going the other way and we've got to balance this out and there's a whole other subject here with regards to just sexism harassment in the workplace etc discrimination we also need to talk about um things such as um ethnicity okay so how do we refer to people of different eth ethnic backgrounds okay so we would say a white person is usually white caucasian um, but when we start to get into other areas, obviously we have Chinese people, we have people from Dubai, we have, so we've got to look at the language that we are using, so an African person, okay, and um, if you're dealing with, um, say, persons who are from different origins or mixed origins, then you have to really, if you're unsure, ask them how they would refer to themselves, okay, so how would you prefer, you know, how do you refer to yourself? What term do you prefer to use if you are unsure for this? Um, you know, we went through a phase certainly in the USA, and it was constantly changing, where we would have different terms used for different skin colors. Um, and, you know, we went through a phase of um, saying somebody is a black person, then we had a person of color. Okay, so it is better and far easier for you to listen to what is being said if you're in that country already and then adopt the same terms. Okay, if you hear it majority used, be careful with that one, make sure it is the majority, okay, of what people are using and then go with that version or just ask the person in general, okay, if it seems appropriate. It's certainly not appropriate in a meeting to say, oh, and by the way, how would you refer to yourself? They'd say, well, I refer to myself as Mark, okay, we, really, my top tip on this is don't even why would we even refer to somebody by their ethnicity this is what staggers me okay this is like that smart person i met the other day right we we do do it and it is human i want to be honest about it. it is human to try and differentiate people not because to discriminate but simply to make it clear like if you're in a shop and there's loads of shop assistants and maybe somebody says well i've already paid for this and they said well who did you pay so you'd look around and you say oh the guy over there the tall guy over there with the glasses okay now that's being specific he happens to be tall and he's wearing glasses these are facts okay but if say for example this person is rather sensitive to wearing glasses then we could hurt their feelings right okay so we, we, it's so so difficult it's why political correctness can be seen sometimes as going a bit mad it's gone too far 
but you do need to be aware of it and it is a talking point and you've got to be sensitive to these things so you might just say well okay that person over there standing near the sign near the door okay instead of the tall guy over there with the glasses right but if you're unsure and it's appropriate and it comes up in conversation if the person themselves brings it up okay about their ethnicity um or perhaps their situation maybe they have a certain you know um disadvantage like we said somebody who's short versus a disadvantage and they talk about it and say sometimes people say use this name for me or that name for me and i find it upsetting then that's a good opportunity to say well how would you prefer how would you prefer me to call you what would you prefer me to use what would be preferable okay that's appropriate to bring it up at that stage all right okay um, also, <laughs> this is a good one, okay, um, this came to me the other day, I've never heard of this before, somebody who's a prisoner, a prison convict, okay, is now um, either a person deprived of liberty or a guest of the correctional system, okay, now I do kind of smile a little bit with that one, I'm sure you can hear my voice, because it, you know, look, I, I'm being honest here, a guest of the correctional system, okay, I'm not too sure whether we would say prison is like being a guest of a hotel right okay there is a punitive aspect the punitive aspect of being imprisoned okay of being convicted all right so we have to be careful on this one i do think some of these are getting a little bit mm -hmm, okay um we might just say an individual an individual in the correctional system okay all right let's try and look at it like that maybe um also the other day let's just talk about some um like equality issues here i had a japanese student he's a great student hi rio if you're listening um now rio brought a fantastic thing to our session he said the other day he said i was speaking to somebody else who's also a tutor he said and i was talking about what was happening at work and i, I was just mentioning about the meetings i had and saying about the chairman you know the chairman gave a speech and she was quite good or whatever he was saying to me and he said I literally got shut down. So she, and this tutor said, you mean chairwoman, right? Okay, she got quite, quite upset about his use of chairman. Now, you know, my lovely student was totally unaware that this was an issue because, and this is how it was in my day, in the 1970s and 80s when I was growing up, you know, chairman was just a widely used term, chairman of the board, chairman gave a speech, okay? But of course, things have progressed further. So we have now, you know, we used to have like chairwoman, chairman to signify man or woman, okay, who is running that meeting. But actually, these days, we've even moved beyond chairwoman or chairman. We've moved to chairperson or just the chair. Okay, the chair gave a speech. Now, that I know to me even sounds ridiculous. I mean, the chair gave a speech, what? The table was speaking to? <laughs> you get my point. You can see I'm making fun of this, not the situation, but saying the chair, okay? Um, I prefer just chairperson, okay? All right. But if you want to use the chair, that's fine too. Try to stay away from man and woman on it because then you can't be accused of trying to offend some demographical group. It's the same with terms like firefighter instead of fireman, firewoman, okay? Um, police officer instead of policeman, policewoman, all right? Try to look at it like that. It's really important um, that we do. Now, there's also another interesting one here. When we hear about actor and actress and author and authoress, um, not too long ago, we went through a phase where people who were being referred to as actresses were quite upset and said, we want to be called actors too. 
there should be no difference. We do just the same job, if not possibly better at times, and I agree sometimes, um, than, than our male counterparts, right? Okay. So it doesn't always fit that you should be changing the endings to fit the situation. This is why it gets really confusing, right? So look, if you're unsure, it's always best to ask the person in question first and say, how would you refer to me? You know, how would you prefer me, sorry, to refer to you? Okay. And um, if you're still uncertain, then go with your best guess. And if for whatever reason a person does react quite offended or whatever, you know this can and does happen even to native speakers. It's not, you know, just um, non-native speakers. And on that, on that, I would really just turn around and just say, "Look, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I was totally unaware that you would find that offensive. I'm unfamiliar with." certain terms i'm doing the best i can could you please help me understand that better what would have been a better choice for my words okay so it, you know like anything if you do cause a faux pas that's a french version in the english lexicon just to say you've made a bit of an error then just say hey you know i'm so sorry i i didn't understand please help me understand so i can improve that in future but remember this don't get too hung up on that if you want some cross-cultural training or just to practice this with me get your free session it's down below the links are down below Good luck, all right, and um, yeah, keep going. Never stop. See you soon. Hello, everybody, and sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to mention a few things that can help you, all right? So I want to help as many of you as possible. You can get a free 30-minute check of your English level, your OET, IELTS, or any other things that you're trying to achieve here with me. If you're trying to uh, pass your interviews, maybe you're attempting to get a job overseas. You would like to know how you're sounding and what a native speaker really would say about your responses in an interview or an IELTS or OET test, for example. And check out that at eslbusinessenglishexperts.com. If you're looking more for career and immigration coaching and would like to discuss your plans, then you can hit me up over at initial-impact.com. But both of those sites, the links take you to the same end result, which is a booking page for 30 minutes free of charge to book your session, time and date you pick on Zoom. Also, if you're doing IELTS and OET and you would like help with your written or speaking tasks too, and you don't or can't have the time to book a session with me in person on a live call, which again, I can do. You can get live one-to-one -one coaching on Zoom anytime you like. But if it's hard for you, then take advantage of my IELTS and OET written and spoken task service, which means that you buy credits, 10 credits, 10 tasks, and you can submit your spoken audio files to me for critique and review, and then I will respond within 36 hours with a full review of your transcript and to tell you where you sounded good, where it fell down, and the corrections, okay? And um, for your written IELTS and OET, again, you can select all the tasks on my booking site, which the links are all uh, all available. If you just go to eslbusinessenglishexperts.com, you can find all of these services there and follow the links. And what you'll be able to do is get a response from me within 36 hours with correction of your written task. And then you get a chance to do it again with the corrections I've suggested. And I will also expand and give some other native phrases you might like to consider. So you're going to find out how to make yourself sound better, to hit the magical number um, that you need to get for a word count, pass and get the higher grade, and also how to expand your sentences and create essays because many students are struggling to know even how to, to create an academic layout of an essay. Um, you're going to fall down there too. 
when it comes to OET, it's slightly different, but the same process applies. We look at how you structure those referral letters and how you uh, write the client and the patient notes. Okay, so it's very specific depending on whether it's OET or IELTS. Um, I do it all. Me and my team, we are here to help you. Okay, so don't hesitate to reach out. And of course, please, 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 if you'd like to purchase any books, then you can get that from the bookstore links. Again, you'll find those all on the site. So good luck, everybody, and hope to help you soon.